You know, there is no foundation that has been laid other than the one which is Christ Jesus. Our hope, our life, our faith is built on him and his word and what a delight it is to worship him. Let's pray. Lord, here we are and we are standing in awe of you. Glorious, all-powerful. You are the Lord of all things, seen and unseen. Whether it be a sunny day or a great storm, our firm foundation is Jesus Christ. And we're asking now, Lord, as we turn to your word, that once again, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Would you bring transformation to our hearts and our souls as we engage in your word? And we're praying and asking with hope, expectantly. In Jesus' name, amen. So good to see all of you. You may be seated. And if you want to find your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. You know, there is a huge difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him. You know, there's a lot of people that know facts about God. They can give you some Bible verses. They, they know truth about who God is and even what he's like and what he's done. But there is a significant difference between just knowing about God and actually knowing him personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ. What makes the Christian life attractive, contagious, compelling, convincing is not that we know facts or we have rational arguments or we have a pretty rock-solid theology. It's actually the personal presence of our relationship with God. And how does knowing who God is transform the way Jesus' disciples live? How is it that knowing God brings great transformation? I would imagine that you have wrestled with that question. I know for me personally, I never want to be a person that's just kind of going through the motions. I want to know God deeply. I don't want to settle for the superficial. I want to be intimately acquainted with who he is, to know his heart, to walk with him. I want God to transform me from the inside out. I really don't want to just kind of have a Christian life that pretty much me doing whatever I want and I've got a little religious box that I check like on a Sunday or at a particular time during the week. I want to have a God-centered life that is sourced in relationship with him. And I would imagine that you do as well. So how is that possible? How does knowing who God is, how does he bring about transformation in our lives? And if you want to know the answer to that question, that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful, especially the text we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. The first thing you need to know, as a kingdom citizen living in a broken world, that knowing who God is transforms how we talk to God. Take a look here, verse 7. Jesus says this, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good 
to those who ask him. Now, at first glance, this kind of looks like just a blank check, right? You just ask God for whatever he, you want, and he's got to provide it. And it may seem like, well, that's what's taking place here. But actually, you have to take things in context. This, this coming to God, asking, seeking, knocking, this is for believers. This is for those who are trusting in Jesus as king, and you are a part of his kingdom. What Jesus is doing is he's telling us that we're not like Gentiles with meaningless repetition. We actually are coming to God because we know him, and because we know him, we have a childlike dependence upon him. A dependence that looks like asking, seeking, knocking. All of these are present imperatives. This is an ongoing style, a lifestyle of life. You just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And oftentimes our prayers are kind of just like focused on physical needs. And there's nothing wrong to keep asking and knocking and seeking about physical needs. But what God wants to do is he is drawing our attention to the fact that he meets all of our needs, specifically our spiritual needs. He says, you are to be asking, seeking, knocking, because you being evil. Did that actually catch you off guard in verse 11? You see, Jesus is presupposing the doctrine of human depravity. I mean, we are prone to do evil. We are sinners by nature. And yet, how do we treat our children when they come and they ask us for things, right? Would we, does anybody, like, you have a son, and he asks for a loaf of bread. Do you give him, like, a stone that looks like a loaf of bread and watch him bite into it and kind of, like, lose all his teeth? Does anybody do that? No. Or if your son should say, I ask you for a fish, do you like, <laughs> I'll play a little trick on him. I'm, I'm going to give him this, this snake. It looks like an eel-like fish. Let's see how that's going to work. Does anybody do that? If you, being evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father give what is good to those who ask him? And that's the argument here from lesser to greater. And what he's showing us is the heart of the Father. You see, when we know God for who he really is, his character, his name, as we have just sung about, that he is gracious, merciful, full of truth, that he is the God of justice, that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-encompassing, why that changes how we pray. And God gives What does he give? He gives good. He gives the good gifts to those who ask him. So what are these good gifts? Remember, it is always important to take whatever passage you're reading and to do so in context. So Jesus just got done proclaiming this. Matthew 6, verse 33, that great culminating statement, he said this, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You see, as those who are in a relationship with Christ, he's our savior, our Lord, and our king. We are part of his kingdom, and we are seeking his kingdom, his will, his righteousness, 
These are the things that God provides for us. We ask according to his will. You remember when Jesus, and we just got done praying through that prayer that he gave us in Matthew chapter 6? Remember in verse 10, he said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Feel free to ask God for whatever you might want. But always say, God, not my will, but yours be done. According to your will, may this be accomplished. Because if it's not in your will, bottom line, we don't actually want it. And only God really knows what is best. Best for us and best for him working out his kingdom purposes in our life. It's really interesting Jesus must have said this on multiple occasions because in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, when he talks about God giving good, you ask, seek, knock, he says, and he will give the Holy Spirit to you. You see, God gives us his own presence. What we really need are not just things for, to accumulate wealth or just things just about our health, Although those things are important, what we really need is the presence of God. For his character to be working out in our lives, we're seeing his strength, his power, knowing his peace, having faith to persevere. As we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, this is the glorious life of being a kingdom citizen in a broken world. But you and I can't do any of it on our own, can we? We're not capable of forgiving the people that have hurt us, right? Or exercising spiritual discernment or being of a help or even being a blessing for that matter. If we are going to experience the truth that Jesus is calling us to, we need him to do it. And what you find is that God shapes our prayers with his heart as we learn to engage him and to know him. And then what matters to him his kingdom purposes begin to shape our prayer lives. You know, one of the things that we desperately need is wisdom, right? And the kingdom citizen knows that I, I need wisdom from God. And that's why, like James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, is that you? That's certainly me. If any of you lacks wisdom, what should we do? Let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. What is wisdom? Wisdom is skill for living. You want to live well? You want to live well under the will of God? Then you need to ask him. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And he'll provide the spirit of God to give you the wisdom that you need. And so that's what he's driving at here. In all of our life, whatever we're facing, we're communing with God, whether it be the the prodigal child or the chronic illness or the hard-hearted family member or the needs for growth in our life or in our church or situations that we're facing in our community or our country. You see, knowing God changes how we talk to him. We know that he's gracious. We know that he gives the good gifts, the spiritual gifts, his spirit, what we absolutely most need, and we're trusting in him. You know, when I was um, a pretty new Christian, I was on a mission trip, and uh, I was reading a book by a well-known Christian author, 
And I came across a statement that was kind of surprising to me because he was, had a chapter on prayer and he stated this, that you only need to ask God once for something and that's it. I mean, he knows you've, you've asked him. You don't need to keep asking. I thought, wow, that's interesting because that actually wasn't my pattern because like I was like really concerned about family members that are lost and I had fellow classmates in college that like really needed Jesus in some pretty desperate ways. And I was like asking God on a regular basis for things like that, things in my own life, for own, my own growth. You know, it may seem right, and you saw a human author write it, but you know what? We don't take our cues from human authors, do we? What is the driving authoritative source in our lives? God and his word. What does the scripture say? Romans 4, 3a. And what does the scripture say? He says, you should ask. That acronym is, you can remember what Jesus says in the exact order he said. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. You know, sometimes you might get answers immediately. Sometimes they may be, it may be a long time coming. Sometimes the answer is no. But no matter what you find yourself in and what your situation, keep dependent upon the Lord. Know Him, and knowing Him changes how we talk to Him. You know, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want, I mean, just looking around, I, I, I know, and I'm joining you in some significant prayers for some deep-seated issues, life-changing, life-altering life-disturbing issues. When God doesn't answer the way we might want, remember that we are just kind of seeing like one page in a glorious book of history. We don't see how it all works together. We've got to keep living, keep reading. Or we're seeing just one scene in a tremendous movie. So don't give up and don't lose heart. And keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking and asking God for the good gifts of his presence, for his Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, shaping your character, giving you the strength to do as he has asked so that you not only represent Christ well on this earth, you experience the tremendous joy of knowing him deeply. In his book, The Pressure's Off, Larry Crabb recounts an event that took place when he was three years old. And he actually uses it to illustrate our need to delight in God through adversity. And so the situation was, uh, that he recounts is that as a three-year-old, on a Saturday afternoon, he decided that he was a big boy, okay? And for a three-year-old, that, like, is monumental, which means that he could go to the bathroom by himself. And so he went up the stairs, and he went through the door of the bathroom, He shut the door, and he locked it, and he said, you know, for a few minutes, I had arrived. I was a big boy until until I needed to get out of the bathroom. And so he's at the door, and and he couldn't open it, and he couldn't open it. And he said, in my three-year-old mind, I thought I was going to be stuck in there forever. So what do you do when you feel like you're going to be stuck in a bathroom forever, and you're three? You start screaming, help! And he is screaming as loud as he can, certainly to gain the attention of his parents, but even the neighbors, perhaps. And he is screaming, and help, get me out of here, because he is stuck in the bathroom, perhaps, for the rest of his life. 
So his mom comes running up. Larry, are you okay? Did you fall down? Did you hit your head? Let me out. I can't get out of the bathroom. And unbeknownst to Larry was that his dad also heard these great cries of desperation. And he ran down the stairs into the garage, picked up their ladder, put it against their two-story house next to the bathroom window, climbs up, forces the window open with his adult strength, and he emerges in the bathroom with Larry, who is like, ah! And he just unlocks the door and opens the door, and Larry goes running out. Thank you, Dad! And he's off and playing. And so Larry, writing about this experience, he wrote this. Listen to this. That's how I thought the Christian life was to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can to free myself. When I can't, I should pray. Then God shows up. He hears my cry. Get me out of here. I want to play. And unlocks the door to the blessings I desire. And sometimes he does. But now, no longer three years old and approaching 60, I'm realizing the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, are any of us content with God? Let me read that again. Are any of us content with God? Do we even like him when he doesn't open the door we most want opened? When a marriage doesn't heal, when a rebellious kid still rebels, when friends betray, when financial reverses threaten our comfortable way of life, when the prospect of terrorism looms, when health worsens despite much prayer, when loneliness intensifies and depression deepens, when ministries die. God has climbed through the small window into my dark room. But he doesn't want to walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge. Instead, he sits down on the bathroom floor and says, come, sit with me. He seems to think that climbing into the room to be with me matters more than letting me out to play. I don't always see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, unlock the door. Dear friend, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy to escape our dark room and run to the playground of blessings, or we can accept his invitation to sit with him for now, perhaps in darkness, and to seize the opportunity to know him better and represent him well in this difficult world. You see, knowing God transforms how we talk with him. You remember Paul recounting just horrendous, difficult experiences that he was going through in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse 9, he writes, And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power 
is perfected in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. To know him, to know his heart, to be still and at peace with his presence, to get out of the superficial, God, just do what I ask when I ask it, and pretty much it's about just physical needs and all, and all this stuff in my life, to actually come to a place where it is well with our soul because we are intimately acquainted in knowing God. You see, knowing who God is transforms how a disciple of Jesus lives. You know where you'll see it? You'll see it how you talk to God. But let me give you one other area where you'll see how knowing God transforms our lives, and that is how we treat people. Look at verse 12. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but look at it with fresh eyes. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. In one verse, there's an impressive amount of scriptural theology. What is this verse known as? Anybody ever encountered it? Anybody know what this is called? The golden rule. What is the golden rule? Is the golden rule, he who has the gold rules. Is that the golden rule? A lot of people think that, right? He who's got the gold, he's got the money. Whoever she is, he is, they call the shots. And we pretty much all just kind of cater around them. That is not the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Why, it's what you see right here in verse 12. By the way, this one statement is this most famous statement that Jesus ever uttered. It is the pinnacle of ethics found right here in verse 12. If you want to know what is the ultimate of ethics, it is found right here. Now, what might be surprising to you is that there are versions of this golden rule found in a variety of writings. For instance, various rabbis had a version of this already recorded. You can even in Hinduism and Buddhism find the equivalent of Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. But here's what's rather fascinating. In all of the statements given to us by rabbis, or even things what are written in Hinduism and Buddhism, this statement is always given in the negative, what you should not do. So for instance, Rabbi Hillel, a very famous rabbi, This is how he stated it. He stated it, What is hateful to yourself, do not to someone else. See that? Like, if you'd hate this, don't do it to to anybody else. What makes this so powerful in how Jesus states it, he doesn't state it in the negative. He states it as the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament is driving to this point that we would, in a positive fashion, treat other people and love them as we would want to be treated. It takes it from being a passive restraint to an active benevolence. It's not just the abstinence of sin, but rather it is the positive goodness. You are proactive. You take the initiative. You demonstrate care. So often... Uh, 
we're familiar with the golden rule, but I don't know how often we actually think about putting it into play in our lives. I mean, when's the last time you've evaluated your relationships in terms of the golden rule? So often we might just find that what's happened is we're familiar with it, but in actuality, this is what it looks like in our life. Well, I'm just going to basically refrain from doing something harmful to others. I'm going to abstain from doing something that might be hurtful, but I'm not going to be too proactive or positive about anything. Nope, it's really about me. You know, it's interesting to state it in the negative. It's so utilitarian. It's so focused on self-preservation. What God is intending to do is bring about transformation. Where his life, knowing him, is being manifested in your life, and because we are kingdom citizens, we have relationship with the real, one true, triune God of revelation, what happens is that we express the character of God in our lives. That means that we are proactive. The golden rule is you and I taking the initiative, not just standing back and not being harmful. I'd encourage you, don't be harmful in your relationships, but that's just only half the coin. We are to be in a proactive way to be a blessing. We are to, this is the foundation for goodness and mercy. We are to fulfill the one another's. You, you've read about the one another's in the New Testament, right? Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another. How can that be done if you don't take the initiative? The only way those things will ever be done, the only way we'll fulfill what Jesus is calling us as kingdom citizens on the Sermon on the Mount is if we take the initiative in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. It's pretty easy. How would you want to be treated in that situation, these circumstances, that relationship? Think about it. How would you want to be treated? Then do that for another. So how is it? How do we actually treat people well? I mean, what is needed to treat people well? Well, I want to give it to you just really simply. How can we actually fulfill what Jesus is saying as kingdom citizens? How can we live this out? Well, the first thing is you need what is called alignment. Alignment with God. An orientation that is walking with him, that knows him, that is walking in his spirit, growing in his word, and seeing yourself as a child of the king, adopted into his family, a spiritual person in love with Christ, knowing him where God is doing his work in and through us. You have to have alignment. Have you ever had a vehicle, like a car or truck, that's out of alignment? You had? So what happens when your vehicle is out of alignment? What happens? It just kind of veers off, right? And you're like, you're driving, you're like, there's something wrong. It just keeps, you know? And so what you do... If you don't know this, this is what you do. When you're on a straight part of the road, you can take your hands off, not too far, make sure there's no other cars around you, or, and just watch what happens to your car. If it is kind of veering off, why, you've probably got an alignment issue. And you're going to wear out your tires, and you're going to put yourself and others in danger until you get it fixed. If you're here this morning, you're like, why is it that I feel like I'm just in the ditch. I read, I read verse 12, golly, thinking about 
caring and treating others, I'm into self-preservation. I don't, I rarely think about how I could serve others. If you're in the ditch, you have an alignment issue. So what we want to do is we're asking God, how is it, Lord, that knowing you can transform my life? Asking God to fill you with his spirit, which means that you're dependent upon God. Praying in such a way that, Lord, help me to walk in the center of your will. God, help me to move away and break away from these chains of self-centeredness so that I actually engage people from the heart with love. It comes from alignment. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the good gifts that God gives when we ask, seek, and knock. And by the way, do you really want to fulfill this command? That's what it is that Jesus says here. Remember what Jesus said? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or as Jesus says here, you shall treat people the same way you want to treat them. Where does it get started, though? It must start with God, knowing him, loving him. And from this rich relationship of knowing God, then flows loving people well. So you want to treat people well? First thing, you have to have alignment. But second, you have to have awareness. You have to have awareness to see opportunities to care, to encourage, to love others. How you could be a blessing. Now, when I talk about awareness, you might immediately think of like physical needs. And that's good. Like how you could help another. But let it be more than that. I mean, we're more than just physical needs, right? We have minds. Helping someone process, work through issues, grow in knowledge. Helping someone be encouraged in their heart. Finding strength and fortitude and blessing and encouragement for their soul as they're going through things. You have to have an awareness of people. To break out of the mold of just, how is this affecting me? To what might you be going through? I read something that I found to be rather fascinating on how um, in Germany they're trying to train 20-something med students on how to have compassion and empathy on their patients. Really fascinating. This woman, Dr. Rahel Eckhart, at Berlin, Germany's Evangelical Geriatric Center, has come up with what she calls the age man suit. And this is what the age man suit is. They, she literally helps put this on on their medical students that they're training. The age man suit consists of ear protectors to stifle hearing, a yellow visor that blurs your eyesight and also makes it difficult to distinguish colors, uh, knee and elbow pads, which stiffen the joints, a Kevlar jacket that weighs about 10 pounds, and it presses uncomfortably on your chest. And then there are uh, padded gloves that they wear. She calls it the age man suit. And she helps put it on her students. And when she does, she says, welcome to old age. And then in their situation, they have them do daily functions. Like, like you can see here, like, can you put Splenda in your coffee, you know? Can you eat? And all of a sudden, they realize, like, whoa, this is really difficult. 
And that's where empathy and awareness starts to hit. She said, you know, I could just put this on a PowerPoint, right? I mean, think about how we usually educate. Next PowerPoint slide. You should care about old people. It's rough out there. They're having it tough. Next slide. Uh, You know, well, that wouldn't be very effective, would it? But it's far more effective when you, just for a few minutes, you enter in to another person's situation. Do you really want to fulfill what Jesus is commanding us? If you're a kingdom citizen, you're like, I absolutely do. The Spirit of God has prompted me to do this. How do I do it? Alignment with God and awareness. An awareness of others, what they might be thinking, what they might be going through, the struggles, the pain, the blessing. How would you want to be treated? Well, think about that. And this goes way beyond like, okay, just folks that might be older and having issues, it might go to anything. Their marriage, their problems, the issues they're facing, the conflicts, the hopes, the dreams, the crushing things that are going on in their life, you have to have awareness. And then third, do you really want to fulfill this? This is, this is how you treat people well. Alignment with God, awareness to the needs, but third, you have to have action. You have got to trust God to step in and be involved and do it. It's not avoidance. That's what usually happens. I mean, it would be a travesty if you walk out these doors here in a few minutes and like, well, heard some good things, kind of challenging, but I'm just going to go back into avoidance mode, right? No way. It's all about me. You have missed it. You know what this world needs? This world is broken. Every single day, the news just just is out there with a megaphone, brokenness, racial tension, no trust, culture that is just falling apart. We don't even know what to do anymore. There's broken lives everywhere, and it's only increasing. Who is going to stand in the gap? I'll tell you who, the kingdom citizens that act in the strength of God. They're looking to meet physical needs. They actually care about what people's minds are thinking about, and they want to help engage. They care about people's emotions and what they're processing, and they're seeking to be a blessing. They care about people's souls, their spiritual growth, where they are. Yeah, you're going to have to break out of your comfort zone, but that's what God fully intended when he brought you into his kingdom. Kingdom citizens living in a broken world. And just remember this, in your relationships... Remember that the golden rule is your greatest tool. In your relationships, the golden rule is your greatest tool. Maybe it's been a while since you've thought about the golden rule. This week, I want you to think a lot about it. You ask, seek, and knock. You be praying about this. God, how can I do this? Will you give me the good gift to do it? And let's just see Jesus on display in your life. I read recently of a middle school teacher by the name of Karen. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a special reward in heaven for middle school teachers, right? And, you know, middle school is rough, right? Some of us barely got out of middle school. Middle schoolers are not known for their empathy and care and concern. And Karen knows that. So she has what she calls the baggage activity that she does with her students. And what she does, she says, I don't, I don't want you to put your name on the paper, but I just want you to write out 
emotional weights that you are carrying, difficult things in your life, your family, what you're thinking about personally going through, don't put your name on the paper, just write them out. You know, so you know how like junior high students are. Okay, but they start doing it. And she has them write, keep writing. She picks them all up. And then, of course, with no names, then she's, she just starts reading them of what the different classmates of theirs are going through. Sometimes it even brings tears to some of the other students. And as a result of the baggage activity that she does with her students, all of a sudden, very self-centered early teenagers all of a sudden are far more empathetic. They're far more caring. They give more grace. Because why? They see the need, and they see how they might even be a part of the solution. Friends, that's what God is doing with us. We're all about knowing God, not just knowing about him, knowing him personally, intimately, where he is strengthening us, shaping us, molding us, challenging us. And it's by knowing God that changes how we talk to him. And it also changes how we treat others. And we do so in a way that's just like God. Gracious, kind, good. You see, knowing who God is transforms the way a disciple of Jesus lives. And I want to give you a moment just to pray and to go before the Lord. So if you want to just bow your heads and close your eyes.